Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. It's always an honor to get to speak um, on this platform. I count it a privilege, and I'm humbled, and I get on my knees. <laughs> Don't take it lightly. So um, basically, I'm going to continue in the same series that Pastor Kurt has started called Builders of the Wall. How many of you are enjoying this series? Isn't it so good? Basically, to give you guys a little overview, if you haven't been with us, is um, from Nehemiah 3, we're really feeling like God is speaking to our church about some specific things about when God was rebuilding the city of Jerusalem after it had been demolished. Um, Nehemiah came to rebuild the walls. And how many of you know uh, walls in a city in that time was important? It provided protection so that God's people could go and worship um, and not be distracted by an attack of the enemy, right? So we need walls. But how many of you know we also need these gates so you can go in and go out and have things coming in and coming out where life can come in and go out? It's not just a walled city. It's a city with doors and gates. And the specific thing that we're feeling a lot of grace on right now is these 10 gates found in Nehemiah 3. You might read them and think, oh, this is like an engineering plan I'm going to fall asleep to. Um, Possibly. But if you look through the eyes of of grace, and um, how many of you know God can speak from his word, the literal stuff back then, but he can speak to us today using those same things from the word? The Bible is alive, and we feel like God is speaking to us prophetically about these gates specific to what a spirit-filled, life-giving church looks like. We want all these 10 gates that are laid out from the Lord in Nehemiah 3 to be open at City Lights. I want everything that God has for us opened up. So this is part four, but I'm going to be talking to you about the third gate this morning. So the first gate we looked at was the sheep gate, which provides a place for you. It's a pastoral place for you all to come in and get your spiritual needs met. That's awesome. The second gate is the fish gate. And the fish gate, how many of you know Jesus said to the disciples before he called them, they were fishermen, and he said what? I want to make you fishers of men. So the second gate, the fish gate, speaks about evangelism. And Pastor Kurt talked about that last week. It was a really good message. How many of you felt stirred to think about the life outside your little bubble? We're called to that. It's very important. The third gate today that I'm going to dive into is the old gate. The old gate. And I'm very excited to talk about this gate because how many of you know God puts things in order and if he's bringing in fish and then a harvest of new souls and young ones to the Lord, we need some old gates with some old wisdom to come and help these new little fishies. How many of us are an old gate? (laughs) Pastor called me an old gate at church. Well, that's a compliment. (laughs) I want to be an old gate. You're also going to be hearing me call this gate Wisdom's Gate because I want to talk to you. Did you guys know in um, Proverbs 8.22, when it speaks of wisdom, wisdom, it's a very interesting portion of scripture because wisdom's actually speaking about itself. It's pretty cool. Um, But Proverbs 8.22 says, the Lord brought me, so this is wisdom, forth as the first of his work before his deeds of old. 
So when we're talking about the old gate, I'd like you to think in terms of wisdom, that this is the wisdom of God that was before everything, that is still the same wisdom we need today. How many of you know we need the old gate? We need that wisdom that was and is and will be in our church, in our people. We need that truth that never changes to be in us. And that has to be there for these new ones coming in to know what is true and always true. Because how many of you know things are shifty out there? We need this old gate open in our church that it is the Lord's wisdom in our house and not the wisdom of this age. Yes. Okay, so the old gate's wisdom is also found, so it's, it's in knowing the works of God, but it's also found we can get wisdom from remembering the generations before us. We can get wisdom from looking at the lives of those in the Bible where God was pouring out his miracles. We can get wisdom from studying the lives of revivalists. I love studying. I get fired up looking at, you know, Charles Finney and the great, you know, awakenings and these people who are tapping into a move of God. You can get wisdom from this stuff. Yes? Amen. So I want to read together um, Psalm 78, 1 through 7 from the Passion Translation. Um, Beloved ones, listen to this instruction. Open your heart to the revelation of this mystery that I share with you. A parable and a proverb are hidden in what I say, an intriguing riddle from the past. We've heard true stories from our fathers about our rich heritage. We will continue to tell our children and not hide from the rising generation. The great marvels of our God, his miracles and power that have brought us all this far. The story of Israel is a lesson of God in God's ways. He established decrees for Jacob and established the law in Israel. He commanded our forefathers to teach them to their children. For, perpetu- for per- perpetuity, God's ways will be passed down from one generation to the next even to those not yet born. In this way, every generation will set its hope in God and not forget his wonderful works, but keep his commandments. Come on. We're going to tell this story. We're going to pass it down. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this message because I think it's very specific with something that I'm caring for our church. So listen with your ears, but listen with your spirit. God, I pray for our spirits to get what you're saying to us, Lord. This wouldn't be a message, but it would be a prophetic call into purpose in an hour where we need your saints to rise up. We need your saints to wise up. So God, help us today in Jesus' name. All right. So the context to this old gate being open or this wisdom gate being open in a spirit-filled, life-giving church is this. We need it for those new fish coming in. We need that wisdom for them. And we need it for many young people here at City Lights already. We need to grow up in the things of God. And there has to be wisdom that's being passed down from generation to generation. So what I would like to submit is that a lot of you are that old gate here. It's not all about Kurt and I. It's not all about our staff or our board. It's about a people. You guys are wise. Some of you have weathered storms that I don't even know how you made it, but you made it because you love Jesus with all your heart. How many of you have made it through some trials and you came out and you just love Jesus? You keep going. I want to tell you, I honor you. I am humbled 
by the people in this church that nobody knows those struggles, but you have pressed on, especially you in your older ages. I want to honor 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, generations. I am telling you, you have a place here. God is not done with you, and we need you. I want to bless you, you old gates. <laughs> I had this word um, that kind of popped out when I was um, doing some ministry at the beginning of the year. And it's a prophetic word, I believe, and I've, I've been praying into it, but I haven't had a chance to unpack it for you guys. So I want to unpack it a little bit to stir us up um, in context to this, this old gate. I, um, I felt like God dropped in my spirit this phrase, God is making wise, or God is making the wise zealous again, so that the zealous could become wise. I'm going to say it again. I don't know. God is making the wise zealous again, so that the zealous could become wise. Is that good? Let's go home. All right. I really want these wisdom gates open with wisdom, but I believe there is zeal that God wants to rekindle in us. I know some of you fan that flame and you are zealous and you are older and you're passionate and just on fire for God. And I applaud you, but I also know there's some of us that we need to be stirred up in zeal as well as carrying that wisdom. So that's my goal today. I want to stir up zeal inside of you wise ones, and I want to provide a place for the zealous ones that don't know what the heck they're doing (laughs) to have some moms and dads and people to come around them so they don't go crazy. Amen? All right. Wisdom is good. Okay, that's what I know from Scripture. Just read the book of Proverbs. Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and men, right? Luke 2. How many of you know zeal is good? I found this definition of zeal, and I'm going to put it on the wall, on the the thing, but I just really like this. The definition of zeal. Zeal is essential in spiritual things. This is not a definition. It's just about zeal that I want to say. Zeal is essential in spiritual things. It's being single-minded towards the glory of God. To see God glorified in every possible way. It's a burning desire to please God that his will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, give us zeal. (laughs) That's all we want, right? That's all we want. Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Jesus displayed zeal in John 2. And the disciples said, oh, that's the scripture. Zeal for my house has consumed me. Jesus was zealous. Wisdom, so this is a slide, I think, just to put it out there so you can see it. Wisdom without zeal is not good. Okay? I'm going to explain this to you. I want to show you why only having wisdom and not zeal is not the best. It's okay. It's not the best. Zeal without wisdom is not good. That's probably more obvious. (laughs) Um, we need both, but it's not one or the other. My goal today is to say, guys, we need each other. That's my whole goal. We're going to be synergistically working on um, building each other in this house. It's not this age group and this age group. It's us. 
It's not one or the other. Two questions today I'm going to ask you. I'm going to do question one now. Why is wisdom without zeal not good? Why is wisdom without zeal not good? What I, what I see, this is my observation. This is like Paul when he says, I, not the Lord, you know. I'm saying this is Emily. I see a lot of wise people start becoming more rational when it comes to like a zealous person coming up to them and saying, I'm going to go on a mission trip. I want to go across the world. There's something without having that zeal inside of you anymore, just wisdom, where you're overly cautious and you kind of put a wet blanket on zeal from young people. And what happens is you'll say, you'll say something wise, like, well, do you have enough money? Did you know there's guns over there? Did you know there's disease over there? Did you know this? And you're saying these wise things. But listen, the wisdom of God and the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. The safest place for that young, zealous one to be is in the calling of God. Not in your rational idea of what you think is smart. Yep. The other way that I was thinking of an example of wisdom without zeal, it's for like our, us as parents when our kids are getting excited about God. And let's say you're at the store and your kid says, Mom, that person's on oxygen. Let's go pray for them to get healed. God wants to heal them so they, they can breathe. Jesus is a healer. Okay, so what can happen if you lose your zeal is you can say, okay, let's pray for them in our car because Jesus hears us. He loves our prayers and he is the healer. So let's, let's go pray for them in our car. That's a really like churchy thing to say. True. Is that true? That is true. But are you going to miss out on your child laying their hands on the sick like we were told to do to see a miracle happen? Are you teaching that kid that, that we don't actually do what Jesus told us to do? We, do? we talk about what Jesus told us to do. And we understand it, but we don't actually do it. You could be throwing a wet blanket on your kid's faith. That kid could be releasing their faith to see a miracle that kid could minister to a person who probably feels so overlooked and so discouraged. How much, if you have something wrong with you and a little kid said, can I pray for you and you didn't get healed on the spot, would you still walk away and say, Jesus, you love me? That was amazing. That's what <laughs> zeal does. So don't over talk your kids out of zeal. That's the thing that I want to um, just give an encouragement. You know, the little boy with the two loaves and the fishes came to Jesus and said, this is what I have. And his disciples were talking this little kid who had a miracle in his hands out of giving this thing to Jesus. That's what wisdom without zeal looks like. We don't want to stop a miracle from happening because we're rationalizing. Amen? Yeah. And just so you don't, in case you didn't know, Jesus took that little boy's lunch Five loaves, two fishes, and fed 5,000 people with it. So God can do amazing things. And uh, this is your tweet today. The Bible calls it a faith walk, not a safe walk. <laughs> All right? All right. Do you have this slide with the crown that I kind of liked? Whatever you part with, part
depart not with your zeal. Let this be your honor and your crown. Whatever you part with, part not with your zeal. Let this be your honor and crown. So good. And I want to just say to you, if you've lost your zeal, if you've lost your passion, this is for you. Revelations 2, 3 through 5. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. This is Jesus talking. And have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first, the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I love how simple the Lord makes it. Just stop and think about when you fell in love with the Lord. And just do that. That's it. That's all you do. It's very easy. He's not mad. He's not going to do anything bonky on the head. He just wants you to remember what it was like when you were falling in love with him. Okay, so I'm going to stop picking on you wise people. (laughs) I'm going to talk now. Question number two. Why is zeal without wisdom not good? Well, I want to tell you a little story about zealous Emily. When she was 18, 19 years old. I grew up in a household where I knew the Lord, but we truly didn't go to church from the time I was in fourth grade until the time I was in uh, college, 18 years old. I missed a lot. I didn't go to youth group. I never saw people worshiping God. So basically, when the Lord saved me and like brought me back, I was the prodigal, um, when I was 18 years old, I, would, I was coming to a young adult ministry, and I would see these young guys passionate for Jesus worshiping him, and I was like, Which one's my husband? Because I've never seen a guy worship like that before. (laughs) I had zeal, but I didn't have a lot of wisdom. (laughs) I just thought, okay, anyone who's passionate for Jesus, he'll probably do, you know. But making a life commitment and covenant with a human is a pretty big decision. So in my zeal, I was about ready to just be like, yeah, yeah, I've never really seen anyone be passionate for God like that. I'd just marry anybody. That is zeal without wisdom. My goodness, can you imagine? Truly, I could tell you it would take too long to tell you a whole story. I almost did marry the wrong person. How many of you have heard of I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Almost ruined my life. (laughs) What was happening is there was this era in the late 90s, early 2000s, where with zeal, people wanted to please the Lord. They didn't want to date a bunch of people and just give their heart away. So they made this rule to where you don't want to do that. So now we're only going to date for marriage. And, and you're only courting. And you're only going to pursue this person if you're very serious about them for marriage. And it's like, can you imagine telling 18-year-olds this? They don't even know if they like the person. They don't know if they have anything in common. They don't know anything about them. And there's this book putting these seeds in your mind of, oh, I've got to date with the intention to marry. And I almost married the wrong person because I was zealous but had zero wisdom. My goodness, I wish I had a mama come and pull me aside and say, how long have you been dating? A year. How's it going? Well, we're fasting from each other because it's just not going so good. She's like... You tested the word. It's not a good word. You should break up. I wish I had a mom (laughs) or a person of wisdom who could have protected me from a lot of heartache. Can you guys think of times of your life where you were very zealous, but you didn't have wisdom? 
You can hurt yourself and you can hurt others very, very easily. I had people speaking into my life who were single, 22, 23, 24, 25 years old, giving me these prophetic words, but I didn't have any mothers or fathers saying, that's not actually how that works. That's not actually how that works. Let's learn the Bible. Let's learn wisdom. And man, I didn't have that in that season, but man, I I hope you do, young ones. I hope you understand that the Bible is amazing and it's precious, but it can be used as a weapon and it can be used to hurt people if it's out of context. So I I would like to encourage you, get wisdom. Get wisdom. Yeah. The Bible, oh, man, I heard this quote recently. The Bible says, be childlike, not childish. So we're going to come to him childlike, but we're not going to stay little children. So if we're going to be passionate for God, I want a place where you're passionate, but I want it to be with wisdom. In a healthy church family, the old gate is wide open. It's manned by the zealous, wise ones who make sure that, so these are the two things I was thinking of. It's a culture where the young zealots pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. And then in zeal, we also choose humility and wise counsel as we grow and mature. Yes, that's what I want for this culture. The second statement is this. It's a culture where the wise ones speak the old truths of God into the lives of the zealous because the young ones posture their hearts to learn from the wise. Is that good? Yeah. So here's the disclaimer. This is a one-off message. You should have a personal relationship with Jesus. (laughs) He will teach you. The Holy Spirit will counsel you. You really just need him. This is in the context of a healthy church. This is in a healthy church body, okay? So I'm not saying... You're not okay if you don't have all these things in your life. Jesus really can work it out. He worked me out. (laughs) All right. Um, I want to tell you a story quickly um, about a man in the Bible. So we're going to get into the word a little bit. Um, I'm going to summarize some stuff from 1 Kings 18. And this is a story of a prophet who was wise and very zealous for God. And then he came into a time in his life when he was not doing so good. Not doing so hot. Okay. So I'm going to just kind of tell you this story because we don't have a lot of time to get into it. This is 1 Kings 18. The prophet Elijah, with the J, um, was zealous for God. And he was living in a time where Ahab was the king of Israel. And Jezebel and Ahab were wicked, wicked, wicked. They were killing all of the prophets of the Lord. And it was a very, very scary time to be alive if you love the Lord, um, the true God of Israel. And they were putting in place prophets of these false gods like Baal. And um, there was a showdown. Elijah had enough of it. He met, said, meet me on Mount Carmel. And so Elijah met up on Mount Carmel. Um, he met with all these prophets of Baal. And um, probably, I think there's another God. I don't remember which one. Um, and he did a showdown. And this, the terms were, let's see whose God is real. Let's make a sacrifice. And whoever God can answer by fire and burn up that sacrifice, that's the God who's the true God, right? So this is what they did. They gave the other guys a chance first. And um, they, they 
they cried out to their God to bring fire to burn up their sacrifice. And they cried out, and it went a long time. The Bible says it actually went through the night, and they started getting more and more frantic, just screaming out to God. And Elijah's probably tired at 2 in the morning, being a little snarky, and he's like, oh, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you should yell a little louder, Um, just being a little stinker, but I love it. Um, And so they do. They turn up the volume, and then it says they start cutting themselves and doing all these demonic, crazy things, trying to get their God to answer by fire. And we all know the the story is that that didn't happen, right? So then Elijah's turn comes up. He gets up there, and he says, okay, before I call on my God, let's do something. Let's put water on my sacrifice and on the wood. Okay, they did it. Okay, let's do it again. So let's pour more water on my sacrifice and my wood. Okay, let's do it a third time. So they pour water on it. And it was so much water that the trench of water around the sacrifice that Elijah brought was filled with water. And how many know he cried out to God and God answered him by fire right there. And it consumed that fire, consumed that sacrifice full of water and it licked up the water. That is the true God who answers by fire. So... The story picks up, and this was obviously a huge victory to show who the true God is, a huge victory. And it's very interesting to me, the posture of Elijah after this happens. I thought it was very interesting because it says um, that Elijah bowed his head between his knees after that. And I think this is starting to give a picture of this wise, old, zealous prophet getting really tired. I think he was exhausted. So he put his head between his knees and he started telling his servant to go um, check for rain because there was a promised rain coming for a drought. And so he sends this guy back and forth seven times and he's just sitting there. And then um, to beat the king of Israel back to the area of Jezreel, the Bible says, this is crazy, the Holy Spirit came on Elijah, he tucked his cloak into his belt, and he started running, and he actually ran ran ahead of King Ahab. And so he's already tired, and this Holy Spirit strength comes on him, and he just runs and runs and runs. He gets to this place, and he's kind of hiding out, and he hears, they're going to kill you, Elijah, for what you did. They're going to kill you. And I think in his exhaustion, he got depressed. He asked the Lord to take his life. He got so discouraged after this amazing miracle that he wanted to to be to go home with the Lord. And the Lord sustained him. The Lord let him go to sleep. <laughs> he went to sleep, which is a good idea for a lot of you who are depressed. Just go to sleep. It's fine. Um, an angel came and fed him. He took another good sleep after that. An angel came and fed him. And then he went on a trip, and he walked for 40 days to another location. He went into a cave. He was still exhausted, okay? And this place, when he's in the cave, God calls him to the edge of this cave, and God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? This was a prophet who was zealous and wise and had a call of God on his life. And he is like suicidal and hiding in a cave. And so this is what Elijah says. This is a state of his heart. It's 1 Kings 19.10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And what I want to say about this portion of scripture I feel like there's a generation 
who's really fought for God, been very zealous for God, very faithful to God, and you guys feel like you're the only ones left, and you're discouraged about what's happening. You don't think there's anyone left that's going to carry this stuff to the next generation. Can any of you relate to Elijah when you look at the state of the world right now? When you're looking at this craziness, calling evil good and good evil, right? Do any of you people (laughs) have a discouragement in your spirit where you feel like you're the only ones who still are zealous for God? So God told him to go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord would pass by. We know there was a great powerful wind. There was an earthquake and there was a fire. But the Lord's presence was in that gentle whisper. And so my, my call to you, if you're so discouraged, the Lord says, get in my presence. Get in my presence. I want to gently whisper to you. And then I'm going to tell you what happens next. The presence of the Lord came in that gentle whisper, and then Elijah put this cloak over his face, because obviously the presence of the Lord is powerful, and he was covering his face. And the same thing happens. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? In 1 Kings 14, he, Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And then the Lord starts giving him some wisdom gives him a succession plan, and he starts showing Elijah some things that Elijah didn't know before he was in the presence of God. (laughs) We think we know a lot, but we really don't know at all, no matter how old or wise we are. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, and anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, um, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the, the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Jehu. This is the thing, guys. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Hey, older generation. Thank you for all you fought for. But there is a remnant of young ones. There, there, is, there are a remnant of young ones who God has kept pure. You're not the only ones. There are young ones who he set his heart on that want to do the right thing in this hour. And they want to be zealous and wise and passionate for Jesus. It is true. Be encouraged. I do believe God's saying that the same way he said to Elijah. I think this is for us as a house. God is preserving for himself a group of young ones. Okay. And then as we kind of move forward. um, So that's my encouragement to you older people from the life of Elijah. Don't be depressed. Get in God's presence and learn that there are more. Okay. And and you're still in the game and you still got to, to, to show up. Okay. Then I want to encourage our younger people as I close. This is my last kind of thing here. I just want to talk quickly about Elijah's successor, Elisha. I think it's so funny that God used Elijah and Elisha in succession. It's so confusing because you're like, which Elijah was that? I don't know. Sometimes I get them mixed up. Okay. 
So turning to 2 Kings 2, this is the story right before Elijah, the one who was older, fought for all these things, and the Lord is going to take him because he did fulfill his assignment. And his successor had been walking with him for a time now, Elisha, and um, he knows that the Lord is going to take Elijah um, from the earth, okay? And it's incredible because I think a lot of us young ones who want to be mentored want it to be like, hey, let's just sit down for coffee like once a week and you can mentor me and tell me all about your life, okay? We'll have like a mentorship. Would you be my mentor? I was like, I don't even know you. I have a family. I have grandkids. I don't understand what you're asking of me. I'm not your mom. There's this, okay, it's weird. It's a weird thing in church. It's a weird thing as a pastor because I'm like, I wish all the, the older people would mentor all the younger people. And it's not pretty and cookie cutter like that. And this is where the Bible says it's not. Elisha, the young one, wanted to follow Elijah around everywhere. And Elijah told him three times, stay here and get away from me. <laughs> Three times in a row, he went to the the last day of his life on this earth. Three times, he's like, stay here. Get away from me. I have to go. I have to go. Stay here to his protege. So, guys, we got to get thick skin, okay? The prophet is rejecting him. What did he do? He was a stalker. It's called the stalker approach. (laughs) He follows him around. (laughs) The good old-fashioned stalker approach. Uh, He followed him around, and because of his tenacity, seriously, this is a spiritual principle. I'm not telling you to stalk old people, okay? (laughs) Please be careful and use wisdom, and they'll give you wisdom. They'll say, leave me alone. (laughs) And Elijah kept following him, and then this is what happened. Oh, I'm looking for the thing. It's okay. Just sit in it. Just Okay, here. Okay, so verse 9, and this is in Second uh, Kings 2, verse 9. Uh, when they had crossed the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you? So this is after he followed him three times before I'm taken from you. And Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. It's pretty amazing how much the Lord is like, the tenacity to go after what that other generation had is not all on that other generation. It's actually on the young generation to go after it, to pull on that anointing, to seek it out and say, I want that What do you have with God? I have to have it. Otherwise, you won't get it. Do you understand? That's not a pretty thing that the church sets up and says, now we have a mentor class. It's like, no, young people, if you want what they have, you better go figure out how they got it and ask them and go for it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Verse 11, as they were walking along, talking together, Suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this cried out, My father, my father, and the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. And he took a hold of his garment, tore it in two. Then Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak 
that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he did the same miracle that Elijah had done on the way there. He took his cloak off and he put it in the Jordan and the water parted for him to walk through. And then there was a witness within the people that he was carrying Elijah's anointing. Isn't that amazing? He started walking in it. I, I was a person who went to intercessory prayer at Res for like a lot of years, way before I was in ministry. They, they didn't do any music when I started going. They started to do a little music. There was a lot going on and a lot of people who could show up at 9 a.m. on a Thursday who were little nutty intercessory people. I was young. I didn't care about being cool. What I was after was there was this little lady named Pastor Diane Blanco who was a lot older than me. And every week, the woman, there was something new from God that she knew we could press into. There was joy and a radiant countenance on her face. There was passion for Jesus. There was passion for generations. There was this inviting in of the generations. And I went to that prayer meeting every time I could. And it was because I wanted what she had. I want to be an old lady who's on fire for Jesus, who's not old and crotchety and grumpy, and who doesn't know what, what God's going to do yet. Do you know what I mean? Old people, you don't know what he's going to do, so you need to get over this place of wonder. And she carried a lot of wonder. Wonder, at, I don't know what he's going to do, but I want to be in his presence it's not like what I come in with an agenda with. It's what he came in with the agenda with. And that was an inspiration to me. And I went after it. And you know, the weirdest thing that I didn't know until much, much later, I've never shared this before, but when we had applied to become pastors at Res, um, and this is not a how-to, okay? This is my story. Um, Pastor John Stalker, the Lord was starting to speak to him his heart about us. And he called me and um, talked to me about what would young adult ministry look like under us if he hired us. This is our first. Huh. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. I'm almost done. All right. All right. I'm almost done. The very first pastor was going to hire Pastor Kurt and I. We had marketplace jobs. We volunteered in ministry. We didn't have the traditional credentials to be in full-time ministry. And he said, I knew you guys weren't blowing smoke. I'll never forget it because I saw you at prayer every week. I know you're not trying to get a shortcut. I know you're not trying to be whoever you love the Lord. And it's obvious. And I think that's why we got a job in ministry. So listen, go after it. It's not going to come to you. Let's go for it. Okay. All right. I'm going to close with this. Um, just guys, we need this wise gate. I said a lot of things. It's more of a story time. But the wise gate, the old gate, we need to open. We need to have wisdom and zeal in this house. Because God's bringing a harvest. And they don't know the things of God. And we don't want them to get tripped up, make life-altering decisions in zeal without knowing what God would say for them. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to pray. We're going to close. All right, Lord, I thank you for... This house, God, I thank you for um, the generations that are older and the generations that are younger, God, that you love them all, you see us all, and you have a calling. And I just pray for a stirring of zeal 
on the inside of us. Anyone who's dormant in their love and their passion, God, would you give them passion for Jesus? Help them to do the works that they did at first, to remember their first love. God, help us not to rationalize things and, and forget to walk in faith, Lord. And thank you, Lord. And I pray, God, I don't know how to do it, but you do. I ask for organic Holy Spirit relationships between young and old to be forged in this house. God, it is a desire of my heart and a prayer that the generations would love each other and serve each other and be connected here. And I ask that you would do that, God. Whatever it looks like, speak to your church. Speak to their hearts. In Jesus' name, God, help us. We don't know what to do. (laughs) We ask for help, but we're willing. Let's just say that. We're willing. We are willing. We're willing to step out, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.